Hello and welcome to the Amateur Skeptics Podcast. I'm your host, Brian. With me this evening is Kimberly. Hey, everybody. And of course, Macamillion. Podcasting from the frozen wastes of Lakewood. And the gentleman who's lost all his geek points, Ian. (laughs) Hey, I got plenty of geek points left. Just not in the computer geek area. Ah, wine, wine, wine. How is everybody? Doing good. Yeah, and how was everybody's uh, uh, Christmas? Good. I I had a great time. Yeah. I also got to uh, celebrate the uh, winter solstice with uh, the Denver Atheists um, for a traditional winter solstice Chinese food buffet, which was fabulous. Really great people there. That was a lot of fun. Fun. So, what? Which which group was that? Um, I think it was just the Denver Atheist Denver, put that one together. I, I on saw that, Yeah, I saw it come through. I just yeah. If they're atheists, why were they celebrating the solstice? Well, why, um, because why? the axial tilt is the reason for the season. Ooh. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. Very good. I like it. I, I mean, you know, if you want to go all the way back to where all of these um, customs for cel- you know huge celebrations that Christmas went ahead and you know jumped on top of old pagan holidays, the old pagan holidays come from the fact that this is the time of the year where the year goes from its shortest days and then starts lengthening again. And of course, back in those agricultural societies, more daylight was life. So it it really does make sense that there were celebrations and um you know kind of these rituals evolving out of the fact that after the darkest day literally um the beginning of the light well then of course that's the northern hemisphere and the southern hemisphere this was a harvest festival right yeah so i mean there's reasons to celebrate in both hemispheres but why is it i don't i don't feel like we really get into our harvest festival the way that we get into christmas you know, so and of course uh, they're having their um, their darkest days when we're having our lightest days. In the southern hemisphere, you're saying? Yeah, in the southern hemisphere. Yeah. 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 I mean, well, we, you know, we now live in that that 24 hour, seven day a week culture where you know it's not like there's any time of the year that things are truly out of the season for right. any place. I mean, with the transportation systems we have, you could always get it fairly fresh. Yeah. No matter where in the world you have to get it from. So uh, harvest is it just doesn't quite have the same I don't know the same importance that it used to. I'm not saying it shouldn't. I'm just saying I, I think we take a lot of stuff we have for granted. Yeah, we always take stuff we have for granted. Well, and I well I guess the summer solstice is the other the the summer equinox. So mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. I just think it's a good time to drink beer. But I, well, again, you think every time like is a good time to drink beer? Harvest, <laughs> yeah, anytime. Yeah, anytime. <laughs> yeah, okay. Who needs a reason? <laughs> All right. Well, let's uh let's uh let's have some announcements. Okay, I'll go straight into some of the upcoming events. It's a slow time of year again, so you've heard a lot of these before, so I'll go through them real quick. On Thursday, January 5th, um it's going to be the third meeting of that Boulder Apologetics group I told you guys about. I've only been to the first meeting, I missed the second. Um and this third one is going to be on the resurrection. Um I'm hoping to make it. I'm not positive I will, but if I do, I will come back with a report on it. On uh, Sunday the 8th, the Humanist of Colorado is having a, a thing on trends in humanism for their monthly meeting. Um, I wanted to mention this one specifically because it's one I'm excited about um, and kind of going on with what we're just talking about with rituals and stuff like that. Uh, they're going to be talking with uh, t- Tim Bailey, who, who is a humanist celebrant. Um, and celebrants kind of take that role of 
kind of, I guess, providing um, ceremony and ritual within the humanist organization. Hmm. Um, it's it's an interesting concept and one that, you know, we've touched on before as to where ritual and ceremony fit in with atheism. But um, I'm really I'm, I'm really interested in that one. So I'm definitely planning on attending that. I think it should be a really good presentation. Yeah. Um, let's see. Thursday the 12th is Mythbusters Live. I haven't bought my tickets yet. Have you? I have not either. We got to look into that yeah, and, and see about that. Okay. Going. I think it should be great. Uh, a couple events at our favorite Denver Museum of Nature and Science. On Wednesday the 18th is a zoologist's amazing Mongolian adventures. On the 19th, uh, Sean's very excited about knowing his snow because right now he only knows the yellow snow and the regular snow. <laughs> so he's going to learn about more. Um, right? Yep. Anyway, <laughs> Wednesday the 25th um, is the Den- is the museum's uh, 60 Minutes in Space. That's a free program where they just go over news events. Um, I would highly recommend it. Learned a lot last time I went. They skipped December, so um, I bet the January one will be exciting. Um, on the 28th, our old favorite IIG Colorado will be having our monthly meeting um, at a library on how to do research techniques. So that should be interesting. And looking forward all the way to February the 13th, the way we all really should be celebrating Valentine's Day, of course, a day early, celebrating Darwin Day, uh, celebrating Darwin's birthday. And that's really all I've got right now. Like I said, it's kind of a little bit quiet. I think think people are waking up and, and getting ready to move. So we'll have more announcements next time in 2012. All right. So, um, uh, uh, unfortunately, um, uh, on the 15th, uh, Christopher Hitchens, uh, passed away. So this was, uh, I mean, this, and I don't know, as much as you know, this is coming. I mean, it, it still was, you know, really sad, you know, to, to finally read the articles and, and, uh, and see that we had, we had lost this man's, uh, this, this great man. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and what is interesting about the guy, one of the things is, is that whether, you were whether whether you were um, agreed with his position or not. Even the people that he debated came out and and talked about what a what a uh, a great man he was, and uh, so so he was he was celebrated even by the community that thought he was going to hell. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean even in our community who who celebrated a lot of what he had to say because he he said some great stuff. Um, it was funny reading blog entries and, and I really kind of spent the day like you, I knew it was coming, but it still kind of affected me just reading different things about him, watching him on YouTube and stuff. And, um, I don't think I saw a single story go past where they didn't, they didn't say something to the effect at one point or another in the article. Um, here was a man you could hate because no matter how much you agreed with him on some things, you were not going to agree with him on something else. Right. And he was going to be just as eloquent about what he disagreed with you on <laughs> as he was on the stuff he did agree with you on. Yeah. Um, I thought that was fun. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the, one of the things, so I started watching his debates on YouTube and, um, there, there, I have a list of five great Hitchens debates that, uh, Misty put up. Um, that I'll, I'll try to make sure they get into the show notes. And so I, I've been watching those and it, it is amazing how eloquent this gentleman is. And some of the people that debated him, um, one of them is Rabbi, his name I can't remember. You know, even during the debates, he's like, it's important 
you know, to have these debates and, and discussions with Haitians because it challenges us. You know, we have to, we have to work through these things even more. And so I, 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 I really got the impression, you know, no matter how much these people disagreed with him, nobody hated him. You know, they, they, and they continued to come back and have debates with them over and over and over. Yeah, so that was a lot of fun. So I, so that's what I, I, I've been doing. And I, and to celebrate him, I have a nice, uh, single barrel bourbon that to celebrate Hitchens with. I know it's not scotch, but. <laughs> I've, I've started rereading, uh, God is Not Great. Yeah. It, it, it is, it is a fantastic book and it's been a while since I picked it up. But, uh, yeah, we, we lost, we lost one of the good ones and it's a shame. Another thing, um, to bring up with him and, and just kind of the movement, if you will, um, because a lot of times we're accused of having our own saints and, you know, science is a religion and stuff like that. And again, just that fact that um, while he was definitely a hero of the movement, I don't think anybody ever confused that kind of hero thing. Even if it was hero worship, I don't think it was ever confused with him being unerring or um, or perfect or like, you know, if... if Hitchens says it, we believe it, right. we've got our marching orders. I, it's just a huge difference. And um, and one that I have heard some people like in the wake of his death kind of say to me that, you know, um, just this assumption that we would treat our, I, I, hero is the only word I can really come up with, but our important figures um, within the movement with, that they think we're going to have the same reverence for them. Right. That other people, you know, that people do in other places. And I've tried to explain it because it's, it's a very gray area. You know, if I'd met Hitchens or if I one day met a Dawkins or something like that, I'm sure I'd be a little starstruck, a little in awe because yeah. I've read so much and I've heard so much and they've done so many great things. But I don't think that quite gets to the point of, um, of the worship that I think happens in Maybe some other areas. No, the, um, you know, certainly yeah. in religion, but maybe even in sports and stuff like that. But it's a tough line because I, I'm sure well, I'd be, I'd be a little. It, it is, I, but I'd, I'd have trouble finding my voice in a situation. These like people that. are are inspirational, mm-hmm. and and I think that as an inspiration, it, it's it's great to look at Hitchens. But he, every time somebody you know honored him almost as a hero, he would he would squash that as quickly as he could. He, he doesn't have to be idolized and he didn't want to be idolized. He did not want to be idolized. He, he would, he would have a huge problem with that. So we'll miss yeah. you, Hitch. Yep, we will. So, all right. So let's start with my book review. Yeah, your book review, please. Okay. So a few months ago, I picked up the book, not in front of the children, indecency, censorship, and the innocent of innocence of youth by Marjorie Hines. This is, it was an interesting book. It's basically a 265-page essay on censorship, followed by 105 pages pages of notes, basically her references, where she got everything from. That's 105 pages of those. And then a 30-page index. So it looks like a really big book, but just over half of it's the actual essay. And it, it's definitely an essay. Don't, you know, don't go, if you pick up a copy, don't go into it thinking this is going to be an entertaining read like the, some of the other stuff out there. Um, this is, you definitely wrote it as an essay. It's a very dry read, but it's a very interesting read. A lot of great information in it. Um, it is not a page turner, however. You will not be sitting there going, oh, what's going to happen next? You're going to be saying like, okay, I got enough for tonight. Let's take a break and come back to it. I still did enjoy reading it. Um, it starts off, you know, 
hundreds of years ago um, with the beginning of censorship in America, basically. Oh, that no, even goes back further. That's right. It, it actually goes back to um, ancient Greece ideas and such. And it works, um, goes through the ideas of censorship from that time frame. Doesn't, you know, doesn't follow it too well. You know, does some jumps, catches up to America, and basically goes through the American history of censorship all the way to the modern day. And I mean, it covers just about everything. You know, we're talking about a couple hundred years ago. If you tried to post something that the post office itself deemed inappropriate, they could have you arrested and thrown in jail for it. It's, it's um, interesting, and and that's even in face of you know the the idea that we had freedom of speech. Yeah, that uh, you know this is after we established the um, Bill of Rights that said freedom of the press and stuff. The, the the post office itself could say, "Hey, listen, this book that you're trying to ship to people to um to a bookstore, we think is inappropriate. You're being arrested." And so apparently they could violate your mail and stuff if they um, thought you were sending something inappropriate through it. So the, a lot of the earlier fightings were over that. You know, hey, listen, you know, we should have the right to express ourselves. And they're saying, no, no, no. Um, it goes into the, the general idea throughout it, though, is just about every time a censorship argument came up, one of the main arguments was we have to have this censorship in place because of the harm it will do to children if, if they can get a hold of this material. Yet, every single time, the people claiming that there was going to be great harm done to children provided nothing at all to back up their claim that any any of the stuff they were trying to censor could harm kids at all. Wait, so would you uh, make that akin to like the idea that violent video games make people more violent? Right. Those kinds of claims they, they, that are unsubstantiated. Completely. And, they, they never, and yet they brought up in court over and over again. That was a justification <laughs> time and time again. And yet, time and time again, they never, you know, even at a point where the stuff started to come back and say, no, actually, there is no evidence this harms kids. They'd still use that excuse and still fight for it. Right. And, it, you know, it goes through, their arguments would start getting, well, okay, this isn't necessarily something the kids will buy. Okay, I guess we'll let it go. You know, they had to fight that way quite often. And, you know, it goes into how the rating system came into play, stuff like that, you know, um... Mac put put up a link to the Comic Code Authority on our page. It does cover um that um right. so you know it goes through all the history of it. And I didn't even know that uh, George Carlin's famous uh, Seven Words You Can't Say that was originally aired on radio live. Oh wow! Hmm. Yeah, oh, I yeah. didn't know that yeah. either. Yeah, and needless to say, that caused a huge stir. <laughs> And that they, would. they go through that in the book, yeah. Now, one, they have a few pages in the middle that show some interesting comics and stuff. The thing I, I thought was the greatest, because there was issues about masturbation, apparently. Um, there is a very disturbing diagram. Now, I'll read with, um, this is um, from the 19th century, and it's um, related to myths about masturbation. This looks like a bizarre harness a man would wear, and here's what it says. Albert Todd's electrified Anti-masturbation harness number two included a bell that sounded in the event of an erection. It delivered electric shocks sufficient for burning the flesh of determined masturbators. Wow. And this basically wow. almost looks like a strap-on dildo. That's funny because that sounds like something I just bought off a sex site. <laughs> but it looks like, and I'm like, why would someone willingly put this thing on? But I guess you put it on, your penis is inside uh, um pipe basically and you could see where i guess if you got it if it got too long it would push a little piston thing to hit the bell i don't quite see where the electrodes are but 
I mean, uh, you know, looking at his diary, it's like, this looks like one kinky sex toy. Don't, don't kid yourself. There's a market for it. I'm sure there is. <laughs> but you know, it goes through, um, even um, overseas and stuff. Apparently, um, the U.S. and England actually, for a time, based our laws off each other. You know, here we are, we fought to get away from them, and then, you know, a hundred years later, oh, look at how they're doing their laws. We'll just follow their example. It's like, what? So a, a lot of the censorship laws actually went back and forth between England and the United States hmm. in um, lining up to justify each other. Don't you think that censorship laws mainly prevent parents from having to have uncomfortable discussions with their kids? Yeah, well, control over what their kids, you know, that, yeah. that's the other thing. You, you read through this, it's like... What you had was you had people time and time again say, listen, we don't want anyone exposed to this, even if you're an adult, because kids might get a hold of it. So you as an adult won't have access to it, and it's not up to you whether or not your kids can have access to it. And it's like, you're not only policing our kids, you're policing ourselves. And that was one of the big arguments that kept coming up. It's like, wait a minute, what if an adult wants access to it? You're denying them that. Right. And it goes to that, it goes through um, artistic merit. It's like, wait a minute. You're finding this obscene, but look at it. It's it, uh, uh, this book has an artistic merit to it. You read it; there is value to the literature in and of itself, outside of what you're considering obscene. And even at times, the definition of obscene and um, my friend, the other definition, but the definition of obscene had to keep changing in order to better fit various things. You know, the, the, our, our legal definition of what was improper kept changing because, like, okay. We can't justify that argument, so we have to change what it means in order to get a better argument so that at least some of the the stuff that's artistic won't be censored. And it really is something to read this history and see exactly where we've come and what we've gone through, because they've had some really crazy ideas on um, how censorship should work. And it's like, whoa! You know, at least nowadays, you know, we, we've gotten to the point where we've established the movie code. So it's like, okay, you can get a, a, a basic idea of what we're considering this, and then it becomes up to you. You know, like my kids, they've seen rated R movies. In fact, we saw the latest Sherlock Holmes movie, and I have no idea why it got a rating of R. It's actually a good movie. The only thing we could figure is there was realistic violence in it, and it wasn't that bad. Yeah, and I, well, and I, I would also encourage you, Ian, because um, you're you're really you might not know just how insidious the rating system is. There's a great movie and a whole another set of research you can do, but check out a documentary called um, "This Film Is Not Yet Rated." This benevolent rating system thing is completely controlled by a group of people who have elected themselves to tell us what we yeah. should and shouldn't say. It's completely arbitrary. It's biased, and yeah. um, it, I mean, a lot of people love it, but well, it's I like the censorship concept, in, a, in a really crazy yeah. way. Well, how can it be like anything but biased? I mean, <laughs> it's, <laughs> the bias uh, goes on the people making these ratings in the first place. Mm-hmm. I mean, well, I, can't, I think I prefer the TV ratings nowadays to the movie ratings. The TV ratings tell you, okay, this contains adult language, adult situations, sex, duty, whatever, and you can only say, okay. Do I, you know, and you have a better idea of what actually is in there that might be offensive. Right, but what does adult language mean? I know. I, I agree. There is a level of I prefer to watch the stuff first and say, okay, are my kids ready for it? But, um, you know, the, the rating system should be better than they are. But I, I agree. They are fairly arbitrary, and quite often they don't make any sense. I mean, one of the more uh, interesting ones, the original Transformer animated movie from back when we were kids, you know, like 80, I want to say 4, 85. Right. They put, they had, yeah, they had Spike say shit in it. 
you know, they, they made sure that was put in there just so they could get the PG rating in order to make sure parents were going to the movie with the kids so that the parents would know the characters. And so when the kid says, hey, I want to ride on this prime dragon, the parents are like, oh, yeah, I remember him from the movie. <laughs> so that was manipulating the system. Yeah. Intriguing. Yeah. It's, I, I just, an intriguing take on it. My um, kids just finished. Yeah. I get my kids this uh, for this holiday. Just finished watching all three Twilight movies, not the fourth because you know it's in the theaters. And you know, and even against you know my my I have personal problems with this movie. I mean, vampires should not sparkle. That that can't be stressed enough. But I mean, but there's a lot of <laughs> subtle ways that that all of this stuff um, does affect things. You know, and I don't have kids, so I I, I definitely don't have quite the. I don't know. I, it's got to be tough raising kids and figuring out what to show them and what not to show them. And I realize that has got to be really, really tough being a parent. But well, I can't stand living in a safe for children society. I mean, well, fuck them, right? I mean, do, if if it's so terrible, be a better parent and don't show it to them. But stop getting in the way of my entertainment. That's right. Joke them if they can't take a fuck. There you go. You know, we're guaranteeing that children can't listen to this podcast. I want you to Absolutely. Know that. <laughs> you know what? I, I do on religiously the, uh, on the put the explicit the, tag on our podcasts. <laughs> on the subject of the George Carlin thing, who knows what the Deadly Seven are? Uh, I know cocksucker, motherfucker, tits, but I can never remember them well, all. Fucking motherfucker. Seven. Yeah, fuck, motherfucker. Shit, piss, cunt, fuck, cocksucker, motherfucker, and tits. There you go. We but, said um, all seven of them. And now we have the name for the podcast, too. Seven Dirty Words. <laughs> and we said them all! Yeah! <laughs> so, but um, off, going off of what Kim was saying about, um, you know, keeping track of what your kids are watching, it's interesting, my kids got into South Park. Ah. And I've not let them watch every episode of South Park. So, generally, it, luckily, I, I've seen all all of them. So, I know, oh, actually, that one, the one where the... Um, Torture Santa and are threatening to electrocute his balls. Yeah, I don't think I want them watching that one. <laughs> you know, I, I watch all of bullshit with with Tatiana. Which she's seen pretty much every episode. And there's and I mean you know, and and you know another thing. I think it again goes into that bigger question of of what is going to hurt the children and stuff. And it's right. it's kind of ridiculous. We we all heard this. Stuff. You know, and 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 every generation has heard the things they shouldn't hear and have seen the things they shouldn't see, and it's it's just part of growing up. Yeah. And I, I just I, w- I really wonder at these people who who honestly think you know who scream every time anything comes up. But what about the children? Well, which is more harmful? If you masturbate, you'll go blind and go to hell, or watching somebody masturbate on TV. Oh, we're getting into those. Who was it? Uh, um. Have the the British talk show host. What is his name? Ed Edward Norton or Ed? No, <laughs> something like that. Yeah, right? something like that. I know the guy that you're talking Graham about. Graham Norton. Graham Norton. Thank you. He just Edward Norton is somebody a, else. I guess he did a year in episode where he asked really messed up questions, and one of them was, um, "Would you rather watch your parents have sex every day for a year, or join in once in order to make it stop?" I don't know. I, you know, my point is that we tell these kids stuff that I think is more harmful than the actual act. Right. I agree. Yeah, well, we, we make them seem like such, you know, masturbation, pornography and stuff. We make it seem like such horrible, horrible things that are going to mess you up in your head. And it's like, well, actually, they're not that bad. In fact, actually, I have a possible topic for a future episode about, um, some of what pornography has done that's been positive as well as, you know, Playboy and stuff, the, the positive a- aspects that have come from it. It sounds like that's going to take a lot of research. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> it's research, well, honey. I'm yeah. surprised if there's any new material for you guys. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, and that's the other thing. You when you're reading um, the book is you get the, the the that the sense that these people really think. Oh my God, if the kid hears a dirty word or sees um you know a naked dress, they're going to be scarred for life. And you just oh, those poor kids. And you're like kids have already seen a naked breast. <laughs> well, my my kids have heard all. all you know, I, I don't care about the curse words. We'll watch a movie with curse words. They know not to repeat it, and they're good about it. Yeah, you know, they don't pick it up. We don't curse. Me and my wife, we don't sit around and say fuck every five seconds. It's stuff like that slips out. On generally, the worst is crap. I say crap every so often, and my oldest son will get me. Hey, that's a bad. Yeah, my kids are getting on me yeah. for if I say shit or something. But, Damn, even. You know, they don't repeat it. They don't copy it. I've even told them, listen. If you guys want to use those words, that's fine. I don't care. Just don't do it in certain polite circumstances. That's the main thing you have to understand. They're, you know, if, if you and your friends are hanging out, I couldn't care less if you cuss. <laughs> it's not going to hurt anything. But if we're at grandma's house and you know we're having a meal, you know, definitely don't start off with the language. Right. It's common it's impolite. Yeah. yeah. It's it's common courtesy. It, it's being respectful, and uh, as long as they have that down, pretty much everything else is not going to fuck them up. <laughs> All right. Kids uh, are pretty resilient, yeah, you know, are. and it, and it also, I think, comes back to <laughs> even, you know, this idea of like not vaccinating children by seeing some of this stuff in proper context with parental explanations and stuff like that is far superior to kind of inoculate kids gently through their childhood so that, you know, the term fuck doesn't, you know, blow their synapses or anything like that, rather than make it this such a taboo thing or you know, a R-rated movie is so taboo. You got to give them a little bit of the dirt to immunize them against it. Well, you know, right. to get them yeah. some real life experience, so that when this stuff comes up in their lives, and it will, because it has every day for the entire existence of humanity, they have some some context for it. You and know, if you if you yeah. try to protect them too much, you're going to wind up with these cripples who can't deal with anything. And I've seen people. Or you're going to wind up with kids that go out because they because the dirty stuff is not available at home. They go out and their language gets really bad, and they say it every other word. But we had an and article, and then they become rappers. <laughs> okay, we probably had an, not. We had an article on this show about a woman who was upset based about people talking about atheism because now she had to explain atheism to her kids. She didn't want to do that. She didn't want to tell them that there are people that exist that don't believe in God. And and I think that these censorship laws encourage that kind of behavior in a lot of circumstances. Well, it's limiting knowledge. Sure. Right? But and it's, it's similar to the sex education and it does go into sex education in the book as well, talking about um, censoring that. And it's like, no, the, the statistics show that kids that are taught proper sexual education, that are, that are taught the facts, that are taught the reality of it, that are taught, hey, listen, these are your choices, and, and are given the whole thing, and are told, listen, you know, it's up to you to be responsible, or more likely going to be responsible than the kids that are given the abstinence-only program that limits their knowledge, limits their ability to know all the facts, limits their ability to make choices. You know, th those are the kids that are more likely going to get pregnant, more likely going to have to have abortions, more likely going to go through all these problems. Of course, yeah, they're going to be in a situation where they don't know enough to not to and don't know enough to say no. Right. right. Yeah. And there's... it's been so taboo and forbidden fruit that it looks right so tempting that that you know nobody can resist it kind of thing. And you know, and there's that line. It's it's a it's certainly you don't want to be you know showing pornography to, 
pornography to four-year-olds all the time. But if you if you completely isolate a child from the idea that sex happens, that is going to be one fucked up kid at some point. I mean, they they can't help it. You need to indoctrinate this. You need to go ahead and expose. I, I think that the role of parenting is to make a good functioning member of society. And this stuff exists, and you've got to get ahead of it. And I, I think, you know, isolating a child and hoping that if they never hear about it, it'll never affect them is retarded. It's just, it's just stupid. And it's, it, it will just result in kids who are more screwed up and don't have the tools to deal with things than if they are exposed to these kind of yeah. things. So, Well, and I've told you my hypothesis about this, you know, that kids should know about sex and they should know that mommy and daddy do it. <laughs> <laughs> they should know what that sock on the door means. <laughs> That's right. That way, when they go to it, they can think about their parents doing it. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good way to make sure they don't. Exactly. See? <laughs> Abstinence. Pfft. It's not what mommy and daddy are doing. Yeah, I, I do. Th- I mean, I haven't read this one, but I do think that there is a lot of hysteria with the, you know, oh, think of the children. That's just ridiculous. You could write this same book about political correctness, too, I think, mm. with everybody feeling that they have the right not to be offended. <laughs> All right, let's move on. Shall we? Oh. So, censorship good, moving on, bad. Oh, censorship bad. Oh, bad, right, 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 bad. (laughs) Moving on, good. Okay, get those confused. Yeah, no, we're here to help you. All right, I guess, now, now, Mac, you have a, it's just related, oh, there's related to your censorship. Mac, did you want to? I just, uh, Ian already referenced the Comic Code Authority and said it is mentioned in that book, and I figured it probably would be. I just put those in there for resources. The Comics Code Authority was instituted because basically some people in government were deciding that comic books with certain things in them, um, scenes of violence, um, scenes that... There were tons of horror comics out back then. Horror comics, yep. Uh, so basically, research. comics that had certain things in them were seducing the innocent and exposing children to things that they should not be seeing. And so the Comics Code Authority was created, which was a self-regulating um, body that the uh, comics industry basically policing themselves so that they wouldn't be policed. Yeah. And that Comics Code Authority was finally abandoned completely, like, last year or this year. I think the last bastion of the Comics Code Authority was DC, and that that went out the window. Yeah, I think it was surprising to see how long it went. Yeah, I don't know that I have a huge problem with that, though. I mean, the idea that they're regulating yeah. themselves and they're deciding what kind of product they want to put out—I I don't see a real issue with that. Well, but once right. again, if I want my comic books to be gore-filled, violent, sex-fest comic books i'm 40 years yeah, old yeah. why can't i fucking buy a well, book like that? is that is that really what they were saying that nobody can sell these yeah. comics or if they no, do they get a different they, label what they what they said was they were there were comics that were approved by the comics code authority and there were comics that weren't the comics that were approved by the comics code authority pretty much were the ones that hit the shelves the other ones were more underground comics and and because of it, that's why Mad Mad originally was a comic book format. But when the comic book code authority came into play, they're like, well, we still want to do it, but we don't want to be censored. So they went oh. switch over to the magazine format. Okay, so it was about censorship, not just regulating. Right. Right, because okay. it right. turns out that you can't use any of the usual methods of distribution oh, unless, unless you, you make it. Okay. Unless you suck up to the code. Right. And there were so couple- it's effectively censorship, even if that's not what it's called, because it-, it eliminates the possibility of making profitable 
and uh, an alternative. It, it got weird at times because um, there was a couple issues of the Amazing Spider-Man that dealt dealt with drug. I guess Norman Osborn or not Harry Osborn um, was basically ODing on drugs. He had become an addict and stuff. And so there's a couple issues that actually dealt with that storyline directly. And because they were dealing with the drugs, they didn't get the approval of the Comic Book Code Authority. But we're talking about the Amazing Spider-Man here, mm-hmm. you know, basically the Marvel comic book. And, and yet, so- they probably were putting out a more important message, right? Than because they were not per- portraying drugs in a in a a gentle light. They were right. portraying they were, them as a, as a yeah, terrible it was, thing. It was not saying anything nice about drugs. Okay. But because it dealt with the message, it didn't get the approval. The comic still got out there and still sold just fine. I mean, this is amazing Spider-Man. Right. But so. it didn't have the comic book code approval, but it didn't destroy the um, series. It didn't destroy their sales. So, you know, Hmm. Somehow you could get around it, but you have to be something like Spider-Man to be able to do it, I guess. I guess, you know, it, even with, I mean, like you were saying, Kim, with the, the bias that goes into, like, the movie ratings and stuff like that, I I don't know that that, in its essence, is about censorship. And I think it's okay to, you know, kind of put those kinds of labels on things to try and give people an idea of of what might be in there. And I think the TV ratings are the same way. But I, I'd hate for them to be used as censorship, I guess, because you're right. What, why can't I get, you know, this and this, you know? Right. Oh, yeah. And you know me. I'll, I'll bang on the door of gay rights once again. Well, but we that's get to one do of that those later. things where if you have a, a homosexual, a same-sex kiss, that's an R rating. No matter <laughs> what the context is, and I would no matter to, how yeah. chaste it is, it's an R rating. Just yeah. think about what that means. It is effectively censoring because now you can't write that story into it's, anything less than an R movie. Yeah. It's okay. saying that what you do is obscene if you are kissing another person of the same sex. Yeah. Right. It's saying that it's obscene and cannot be seen by children. Right. And so and, and again, this is this decision is not being made by all of us. It is being made by and, and in all of these cases, somewhere along the line, someone is going to self-elect themselves to be okay. moral and, you know, they, they know better than you as to what you should and shouldn't say. It's a system I don't think – I mean, I understand where you're coming from, but I don't think it can do anything okay. but be corrupted. All right. All right. So the abandonment of the Comics Code Authority, 2001 Marvel Comics – withdrew from it, okay. dropped it, and put in their own rating systems instead, right. indicating appropriate age groups for their comics. 2010, Bongo Comics, the ones it does at Simpsons, they discontinued using the code. In January 2011, DC Comics announced that it would discontinue participation, adopting their own rating system also. Hmm. Um, they had submitted comics for approval through December 2010, but would not say to whom they were submitted. Hmm. Uh, the last... The last one that was apparently still submitting to the code was Archie Comics, and that was discontinued in January 2011 as well. If you're interested, I'll go ahead and continue on with the code criteria. For no, 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 we're done. We're move on. Okay. Good censorship, <laughs> bad. Okay. Well, if I can, just a, a yes. really interesting bit of it, though, um, to go back to that Spider-Man story, is it is funny how these things do get eroded. There were people who were standing on the principle of, yes, even though you're telling an anti-drug story, we still don't think you should do this. Um, I think ultimately we're correct that allowing it in this one case was going to start decaying the code. I, I, I personally think that's a good thing. I think the lack of a comic code is good. But I, I do think these people do have some legitimate worry about this kind of stuff when, when they say these kind of things of what's going to... Um, 
you know, degrade and, and decay and erode at these long-standing bastions of censorship. Um, once it does start, it's inevitable. Yeah. So, yeah. I thought that was just an interesting way of looking at it. All right. Now moving gotta, on. Yeah. Well, we got to decide. I, I don't know. The, we've got some good articles in here. Um, I really want to make sure we get to your article about the gay community apologizing to Amy Koch. Go. We should okay. that up and do that now. You want to do that? Because this is going to be another long one. We, I think that we could end the podcast with, with the discussion here. Oh, I don't know. I, I, I thought it was just more amusing than anything else, but I'll go into it real quick if you'd like. And, um, I appreciate well, Ian. If you go Ian along with Ian's, one to me. yeah, if you go along with Ian's stuff, um, that goes along with it. Well, the second one's just a joke anyways, but. I don't know. I got really, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it was because it led into some other stuff, but well, go ahead and, and, and let's see where it goes. Okay. So, um, anyway, the, um, there's a, a person in, let me, Oops, sorry, I'm getting back here. Uh, in Minnesota, there's a um, majority leader, Amy Koch, um, has been leading the um, sanctity of marriage kind of stuff um, in their in their state, um, trying to get bans on same-sex marriage in Minnesota. And um, turns out that she had an affair with, uh, it sounds like one of her subordinates. Um, so it was a big, big thing. She apparently had to step down and resign from her position in the government because it you know, it was this big scandal or whatever. Um, and so um, the gay and lesbian community basically wrote a letter, which I thought was hysterical, <laughs> basically apologizing to her for um, ruining the sanctity of marriage and um, causing her, therefore, to stray into this inappropriate relationship. It was very tongue-in-cheek, of course. Um, and just, it. you know, you always are hearing about how, you know, the, the, the right and the religious right will, will say how, the idea of same-sex marriage is a threat to the the sanctity of marriage, and so you know they kind of did this tongue-in-cheek thing about um, about how you know looking for civil rights uh, resulted in her having to go screw some guy, which I thought was pretty hysterical. Yeah, and it, I think it, it is funny, and and they're in and they're being tongue-in-cheek, they're being flippant, but the point that they're making I, I think is excellent, in in that you know. How can how can gays and lesbians cause these things to happen? And there's a huge disconnect. And but we're constantly hearing this kind of crap that if we allow gays to marry, it's going to ruin the sanctity of marriage. And I keep coming back to how it doesn't affect Did me you at watch all. Watch the video that, that I put. It's all because the gays are getting married. Yes, and that and that is funny. And but I I'm really talking about your next article that right. really well, got let me, me going. Talk about the video real quick. Okay, in the video, it's a great video basically going off of the same joke although it came out before the letter you have this guy he's coming home and he's talking about how his wife has left him and she left him a letter and in the letter she straight out says our marriage fell apart because the gays are getting married yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah you, but, but you walk out of the house and she all sorts of notes and stuff that obviously clearly state that the two of them were having problems anyways but all the problems have, you know it definitely was a great great um way to mock this yeah. idea you know yeah it was good no, satire it's kind of like trying to say that porn destroyed marriages. Like, no, right. if you're having a problem with porn, more than likely there's a problem beforehand. Porn is just something you guys are using as an excuse. If something else going on. Porn has ruined your marriage. And yeah. so if you, if you won't blame the gay community for destroying marriage, 
and you're having problems with your marriage, trust me, there's something else going on. Okay, but that's Hell, if not... if it's used right, it should be enhancing your marriage. Right, but that's not the one that really... Okay, so, I mean, that's funny. It's this next article that just irritates the crap out of me. Well, th this kills all their arguments. I mean, if um, she's right, then how can gay marriage um, even happen if the gays aren't real? It doesn't matter. What they're saying is that there that I, that, that there's no proof of homosexuality, right? That right. these people are choosing to live this way and that it's strictly a choice. And this comes back to what Kim always says. Well, why is the choice not valid? It should be a valid choice. And it just irritates me because it's like I'd, I'd really like to say, you know, well, I guess I wouldn't. I mean, you know, that that there's something biological going on here. Well, for our listeners, the article itself um, is Linda Harvey. There's no proof that les lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender people exist. And I guess Linda Harvey is from a group called Missing America. And she actually went on record claiming, and here's her quote, there's one big fact that's not backed up. There's no proof that there is anything like a gay, lesbian, or bisexual, or transgender child, or teen, or human. One of the other things you're going to see, as I mentioned, is a big campaign against gay okay, but Listen. Did you yeah. you're calling for respect, respect, not just yeah. for people, but for homosexual lifestyle, the PR campaign to hold up gay as a good thing, the lifestyle, not the person, because there are no such humans. Right. The lifestyle. In other words, it's a choice. So what? So what if it is a choice? And, and it's a valid choice. Any choice is valid. Well, what they want to say is that they want to say that the choice isn't valid. And I find this so irritating. Is it okay for me to make the choice to wear pink socks? But are pink no. socks real? Are your feet real? Because it, it doesn't matter. Men and women are real. And if two men or two women decide that, that they want to have a relationship with each other, and why is that an invalid choice? Even if it is a choice, whether it's biological or not. And, and, and really, Kim is the one that makes this argument. And she's the one that, you know, the, one of the reasons that I even occurred to me. And here I am, you know, I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm talking for somebody else. No, and you're, you're entitled to your own, own as well. I mean, I think it's fine. Um, it, I mean, it is, it's, it's an interesting point of, of where she thinks she's even coming from here. Like, say that if you've made this choice, it's still, somehow is not your choice because you still don't exist i i it's a very <laughs> bizarre little comment I, I don't think people exist to her i think everyone has to be a cookie cutter is what it almost sounds like it's like there is no individuality everyone has to be exactly the same because that's the way i want it you know, that's what it almost sounds like here. it's like no how, how can you be different from anyone else how can you have a, a unique perspective on life unique um drives you know how can you be something other than the cookie cutter person that is um, what I've decided is morally acceptable. But here's the, I, I don't know, the thing is that the way that she phrases this, she's not denying the lifestyle. She's not denying that, that two men and two women are living together. What she's, but the way that she's saying it, you know, she, so she's acknowledging the lifestyle that these people want to do it. She's saying that it's not a, it's not a biological thing, that they're not that way from birth. They're saying it. Right. She's saying it's because that they're, they're choosing to be immoral and they're choosing to go against God's law. Right. Well, that's not a good argument. They're, well, they're saying, look, she says gay, lesbian, or bisexual, or, well, she says transgender child or teenager. Right. So basically, there are, there, I guess, what, there, there are no lesbian teenagers? Is that what she's saying? Well, she, I, I read a, another saying. one that's linked here. 
and it says she's it's, it's quoting her saying there are not gay people only heterosexual people involved in homosexuality okay so l- let's give her that point <laughs> I, I mean literally l- let's say okay fine there, there are only heterosexual people and then there are people who are choosing to be to, to live with a, a man a, you know two men and two women choosing to live together and, and 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 I think if we just stick to that, what's the problem? Even yeah. with that, no, she's saying that choice is not valid. Why? Well, yeah, she's saying it's not valid, but I'm saying. saying that it's but, okay for them to make that choice. But yeah, she's not giving any real good reason why the choice isn't valid. Doesn't matter whether or right. not you're born that way. Tell us why the choice itself is, you know, something that she could she should even give a damn about. You know, technically, I think only Lady Gaga is born that way. <laughs> I thought she performed that way. So that's weird, Al Yang. Oh. I don't know. I just, I, I just, it's amazing to me that something that they can't prove does harm to them at all, the sanctity of marriage, that, that they have a, another problem with somebody else going and do, doing it. You know, if they want to say in their church, you know, that, that it's not okay, that, that's fine. Let them do that in their church, right? So those, so gays and lesbians can't be members of their church. Um, that's fine. They can do that. But for them to look at somebody else and say it's not okay for them to have that lifestyle, I have a problem with that. Uh, in a, an interesting related note, my wife and I were having a discussion yesterday about, turns out the Mormons have decided that they're basically, they basically decided that they want gay, they want gay people to be okay in the Mormon church. And their church membership has gone up about a third since that decision was made. I don't know. I haven't heard that. I've been listening to the Mormon Faircast, and they've been doing a whole series on same-sex same sex attraction and and talking about how, you know, we, what the scripture says. The, well, not what well, they, they do reference it, was, it. First it was a don't ask, don't tell, but now they're putting out a new version of the Book of Mormon, <laughs> or at least that's what my wife said, and I'm her, her information is usually pretty good. Mm, oh, I, I, I haven't seen. That I don't know. Stuff. I haven't That's seen that. I would though. question that. I, I don't know that it is good. Uh, I'd like to see those articles because, as far as I know, to at the to this point, they they barely recognize same sex same sex attraction. But if you're acting on that, you're in violation of scripture, and and you can't be a Mormon. If I mean, it's not even you can't. You know you. You're going to hell. It's you cannot be a Mormon and be and be a gay or a lesbian. And as far as I know, that's their policy, and I haven't seen that changed anywhere. I, I'd I'd love I'll, to, I'll to see that article. Thanks. Yeah, that'll be a great one for the next. Yeah, time. that'd be interesting. Because I mean, they've they've spent so many millions of dollars on stuff like Prop Eight. I'd be surprised at yeah. that quick a turnaround. I mean, they they the Mormon Church. I mean, hell, they'll make up any shit they want any time they want you know um hey, but the they're usually been, been not that some, fast they've been putting out some pretty doggone good commercials have you, you seen you, the one you've been enjoying them <laughs> i i like the guy who's a scientist and a mormon oh i've seen some of those yeah there's some real they're good commercials they're very progressive so yeah i i don't know i was really disturbed listening to one of the mormon fair casts and they were talking to a gentleman who was he was gay and him and his partner had been living together and you know, and now they still live together, but now they're not having sex apparently. And they're, and he's even talking about how someday he'd like to marry a woman. And I, and it's just, it just boggles me because it's like he's been pr- 
I don't even know how to say. It. He's been gay all his life, right? And somehow, you know, this is the this is the pray the gay away type of thing, and he's gonna go marry a woman. <laughs> it's like if he doesn't have those feelings for a woman, why would you go do that? I thought only Scientologists uh, Scientology cured homosexuality. Maybe. I've also loved the people pointing out, you know, all these people who say it's a choice and nobody's being told that the gays can't marry. They're absolutely welcome to marry an opposite sex partner anytime they'd like. Yeah, exactly. And I'm like, would, would you like to offer up your child? You know, well, would, you, would you want, would you want your son to marry me just to go ahead and save my soul? Is that who you're going to offer up? I think I that, <laughs> I think that they have shown that gay marriage is okay. I mean, look at Michelle Bachman's husband. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny, you know, we say that, right? And we all know what we're talking about, but the, I, in a lot of ways, those stereotypes don't always hold. Mm-hmm. But sure. he fits them. Yeah. Oh, very much. But it, it, it comes back to that same question. I just, I just can't imagine. I've never understood why this is a big deal to, to any of them. Like why they'd get involved here. Like what, just why they want to make this stand. You know, like right. I, I would just think you'd have better things to do with your life. Well, and, and I, and I, and I wonder now if, and if this idea that people saying, well, it's not a choice that, you know, you're born that way has actually kind of hurt the argument. Um, because now, because now they're, you know, they, we see this, they throw that back in our face. And realistically, maybe the argument was never really valid. I mean, I, I think to an extent it probably is. I think that, that the brain chemistry might control your, who you're attracted to. But I think that there are people who are attracted to both sex and they can make that decision. Mm-hmm. And it, and it comes back to why is the choice invalid at that point? And, and maybe that's the, the, where we should stick to this. Not, well, it's not a choice. They're born that way. Who cares if they're born that way? If they want to make that choice, why should that not be valid? And I almost think that that's better footing in which to have the conversation. I agree. And, and, and like I, I think I've said before, and just to clarify, I do think it is biological. I do think that okay. people are born this way, but I just don't think it's just exactly what you're saying. I just don't think it's the strongest argument. I don't think it is the reason why we should have civil rights. I think we should have civil rights because we're human beings and, well, and we, we have, have... A, a code of conduct that says if you're not hurting anybody, go do as you need to do. Um, we have but the right I do think that, life, that you're born that and way. The pursuit of happiness. And yeah. it sounds like that's the pursuit of happiness right there. Right. Yeah, right. a, a very, very basic one biologically and socially. I mean, it, it's so, I, you know, like I said, I, I definitely wouldn't argue. You wouldn't hear me arguing that it is not biological, just that I just don't to what Brian just said. I just don't feel it's the strongest argument. Yeah, I, I don't either, because I think that there are some people that are bisexual enough that they could make the choice of who they wanted to be with. Well, I know a girl who's a lady who's gone back and forth. You know, for, she started off, um, attracted to guys. She had a, a kid. Then, um, she went through a phase where she wasn't attracted to guys and preferred women. And now apparently she's back to guys. Yeah. And I, and that's great. She makes a choice. Why should she not be allowed to make those choices? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's, it's just a wonder again. Like I said, my, my biggest confusion comes out of wh- why people would spend their time worrying about this. For anybody but themselves. I, I can't imagine being this concerned about someone else's sexual choices. If I'm not the one sleeping with them, why would I give a shit? Well, I just can't yeah, imagine. That's a really good point. The, but it's, it's just pure fear, fear mongering. But I, I guess, no, this is a strong issue and 
But, you know, they're, they're, religion likes to tell people what they can and cannot do. They want mm-hmm. to be the bottom line of morality. And so if they let one thing slip, and maybe this is a slippery slope fallacy argument, but uh, more and more things will start to slip, I think, as well. Or at least that's what they're afraid of. And they might be right. Um, you know, it, they, you can't say anymore, you have to be Christian to be a good person. Oh, he's a, he's a, we know he's a good person. He's a Christian. I think that we can refute that argument pretty well, can't we? Yeah. You can find we people can. who are good. I, I don't know that everybody would. Okay. You can find people who are good who are not Christian. Well, you can find uh, yeah. people who are bad who are Christian. Exactly. And that's my point. But how often have we heard, oh, he's, he's a good Christian? Well, what does Christian have to do with it? He's either good or not. Christian is just a label on top of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think I've talked before about Dan Savage. He's one of my little heroes. I love reading his stuff. And he uh, he keeps a running, uh, I guess, blog posting that he calls every mother deserves a, or every child deserves a mother and a father. Um, and it's just these stories um, that he gets from like some kind of Google News reader or whatever about basically same sex or not uh, opposite sex parents. Um, married or not, who do awful, awful shit to their children. And it's unfortunate, and he's not, you know, celebrating this awful shit going on. It's just the fact that, you know, having opposite-sex parents, having a mother and a father does not guarantee anything about no. the life of that child. Well, because, I, to your point, there are good and awful people out there, yeah. and it's absolutely no guarantee. But it's in response to the people who, you know, who still every day will shout that every child deserves a mother and a father. And it's like, but that doesn't guarantee anything. It's yeah. the quality of the person. It's the quality of the parenting. And, you know, again, it's if you have love for the child and, and, and some sense in how to raise them, it can be anybody, you know. But it, it's, again, it, it, I... I I just to to your thing like who would who would possibly think that? Un- unfortunately, there's quite a bit out there. Oh yeah, yeah. We we, we live in a in a isolated little community that's far and away smarter than the rest of the population. Yeah. Well, I sent you a video <laughs> about a um um a gentleman speaking. I I don't know where, where exactly he was speaking. Who had two mothers, and you know he talked about how you know he he grew up as normal as anybody having gay parents. Mm-hmm. Did you did you see that video? I'm did not sure if it? I saw that one. I, I saw it. It, to it was you. actually really well done. Uh, yeah, I I sent it. I sent it to you. Oh, okay, um, I'll have to look. Yeah, but and have you? Did you hear Hillary Clinton's um, UN speech? I did hear about that. Yeah, that was fantastic, and I found that from my from my new favorite site, which is endtime.com. <laughs> they and they and they have a prophecy related news section, and I saw that on there, and. uh and so I'm looking at them right now because I I love you know the what the, what they consider you know signs of the apocalypse, and right now they've got up there Romney says he will continue Obama's policies of having homosexuals in the military, and that's you know of course you know to to their uh, you know th- this is signs that uh, that the end times are coming, homosexuals in the military, homosexuals being able to gay or to <laughs> to gay. <laughs> Well, that sounded really bad. What are you Mary. Doing today? Oh, no, yeah, I mean, yeah. I, can I, can I, can I, can I re-say, re-say that, please, and say Mary instead of homosexuals being allowed to gay? <laughs> oh, that's going in our trailer. You can relate, but you can't be gay when that's, you do it. Damn yeah. it. Um, I mean, what else we have here? Um, related ID actions affected in January. So, anyway, so I love to go to this site and, and see what they're saying or signs of the apocalypse that day. Yeah, so endtime.com, my new favorite site. 
They, right, okay. they have a whole 14 DVD set. Um, that, that goes through the Bible, basically showing how the end times are coming and everything. It's like, boy, I really want this, but I don't want to pay $200 for it. So, oh, well, I guess I will never know. I don't know. T- time to bust out. Maybe not the name of the podcast, but just write, write a really sweet letter about how you do a podcast and you'd love to review it. Yeah. And just be a little bit vague. <laughs> I, I bet they'd send it to you. They don't might. lie. Just, I won't lie. You know, just leave some stuff out. Okay. I'll think about that because I would definitely like to watch these videos and see what they've come up with here mm-hmm. as far as their end time prophecies. Yeah. All right. What else do we want to do, guys? All right. Well, shall we go back to the I, – I thought the Mayan ruins. Yeah, the Mayan part. ruins was cool. Sean, you want that to tell us about the That was kind of interesting. Ruins? Yeah, I thought that was actually really cool. Um, in North Georgia, they found the ruins of an ancient Mayan city that believed to be at least 1,100 years old. Um, they basically believe that they are the remains of a city built by Mayans who were fleeing wars, volcanic eruptions, droughts, or famine. Uh, in 1999, they led an ex, uh, University of Georgia, Georgia archaeologist Mark Williams led an expedition to investigate the Kinemer Mound, which turned out to be a large five-sided pyramid built in approximately 900 AD. It was originally believed to be a natural feature, but it was actually a pyramid built on an existing hill. So I That's guess, fascinating because yeah. there's so many times when you do see these kind of natural formations and you think, wow, it just it doesn't look like it's natural. It looks like it must be something else. And here it is. People just assumed it was natural and it turned out it wasn't. Um, it mentioned, though, that uh, a couple of them, a couple of Mayan words looks like they got into the local Cherokee language, too. Let's mm-hmm. see. Um Okay, I know it was in the article here somewhere. I'm glad we're not live because silence makes great radio. Okay. That's getting, that's getting edited out for sure. <laughs> oh, here we go. The people who settled there were known as the Itzamaya, a word that carried over into the Cherokee language of the region. And I believe that the city that is being uncovered there is actually believed to have been called Yupaha, which, which was looked for by Spanish, Spanish explorer Hernando de Soto. So. Yeah, I found that I found that just really interesting, though. Yeah, I I found it interesting too that that you know I, I'm not surprised that people might have fled north because you know it's not like there's any natural borders or anything like that that would have stopped um, the Mayans from from moving north. Um, but just that they created the city, you know, not not just they were you know escaping a war, escaping a natural disaster, escaping famine. They set down roots. I I thought that was really fascinating. Uh, I, yeah, what I find kind of interesting is they took their they took their culture with them and built the Mayan city, but it looks like over time they abandoned the city. It, at least that would be my take based upon the fact that some of their words ended up in the Cherokee language. It looks like they probably bred or you know inter inter intermingled with the native peoples there and probably became part of those native peoples instead of staying Mayan. You know what? It's interesting, uh, and I don't know how to respond to this. I clicked on that the picture on Flickr and read some of the comments, and somebody saying this is not Mayan. This is Aztec stone, Aztec stone of the sun. Although it is commonly known as the Aztec calendar, it's not even a calendar. And besides, that's one of the um, replicas. It, the real stone is in the museum at Mexico City. Well, hey guys, I'm looking through the comments here. We may not want to yeah. take this one seriously. Yeah, I don't know about this. This well, this seems think. like it's not. Uh, there's something going on here. Yeah, we may need to come back to this one. Yeah. I didn't. I didn't read it we before. Need to, but we need to. We need to verify this more thoroughly. Well, 
the problem with some of these articles is they will find um, stock pictures to put up. So it doesn't say what that picture actually is of, but whoever made this article could have just been looking for a stock picture and grab whatever they found that think, oh, this looks right. I that looks know. mine. Yeah, that's, I, that's, that was my take on the picture there. Yeah, but I don't know. That, that I don't know. I find that hanky that, uh, I don't know, maybe the person writing it didn't know. I, I think we need a better source on this article. Yeah, we'll have to come back to this. Yeah, one. We, I think we should. I think that we should come back to this because I'm not. I'm not sure. Um, you know, there's there's some things here that are making me feel like this. Uh, well, well, why don't we let Sean try and do a little more research? Okay, I'll do a little more checking. Yeah, please this. do because if if it's true, it's incredibly interesting. But I, I'm getting that uh, that nauseous feeling. <laughs> All right. Well, let's All right, let's, let's move on to the unleashed on. mind. Oh, okay. Okay, I wish you could get, I don't know why, it's weird. Um, you, you're saying you only got the preview now? I can only get the preview. Originally, I, I'm not subscribed to it, but I got the whole five-page article. I don't oh, know okay. why Maybe that did? was. That was a bit weird. But, um, it's, okay. So this article itself goes, it's called Unleashed Mind. I, creative people, are eccentric. And it goes into, um, you know, the, the, the how your mind works. And why often creative people seem to have odd things about them. And, you know, it starts off talking about, um, some of the more famous stuff you've seen. You know, I guess, uh, Dean Kamen, one of the most successful entrepreneurs out there. Um, you, you'll never see him in a suit and tie. He apparently dresses exclusively in denim. Uh, it talks about how, um, I guess Albert Einstein picked up cigarette butts off the street to get tobacco for his pipe. You know, everyone knows about Howard Hughes, mentions him a couple times in the article. Uh, it talks about Charles Dickens was said to have fended off imaginary urchins with his umbrella. Uh, it mentions Michael Jackson. <laughs> we don't even need to go there, I don't think. But it talks about how the, the article itself goes into um, looking at the mind and seeing the connection between being creative, being, you know, really brilliant, and not quite fitting in with the social norm. And part of that comes from um, the way it apparently seems like you, they absorb information around them. And a, a, a disconnect to, you know, a, it's hard to, you really need to read the article, especially since I, we only have access to the first page of it right now. Um, but it actually, you know, went through doing some real research on exactly what is going on there. And, you know, especially someone like me where I'm well aware I have, and, and that's the other thing, it talks about how they're often well aware they have eccentricities and little things like that that are going on, but they push it to the back burner kind of thing because it's not what they want to focus on. They don't want to worry about whether or not what they're doing fits in with, with what everyone else around them is doing because that actually, you know, affects the process. So, you know, it, it, one of the things that I like is I very much read through it, saw myself in some of this, because, you know, I can be a bit eccentric at times, and I definitely feel I'm a creative person. You know, I, I mean, anytime I start a, a Halloween project in my backyard, you can ask my wife, it gets weird. Okay, so, I'd, li I'd like to ask her, can, can you go get her so we can ask her? <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, I, I will, when I start a project, I can get very bizarre and very toned out on certain things while overly focused on all sorts of other things. And, you know, certain things like, you know, what? That's important? Why? You know, and so I can definitely appreciate the idea that, yeah, there's definitely a connection to being creative and being eccentric at the same time. And so I, I like the article because of that, and I wish we had the whole article here. Um, it's from 
Scientific America, and apparently you have to subscribe to it unless you can figure out how the hell I got to it originally. I think I, I went off of someone's Facebook link. I don't know if that went through their account, maybe, and somehow relinking it didn't. I don't know. But um, I, I read the whole five-page article initially, and I didn't have to subscribe for it. So well, they want, um, Yeah, they want eight bucks for it. Yeah, I definitely don't think it's worth that. It's a good article, and it gets into some really interesting ideas on you know how the perception works with the creative people. So um, it might be some another thing to try and do a little more research on, see if we can find some other stuff for, um, that you wouldn't have to pay for to read. Hmm. All right, guys, we are over an hour. Is there? Do, are, are we good? Is there another story we want to hit here? Oh, uh, up to you guys. I, you know what, we can hit the, the five doomsday prophecies real quick okay. here. Um, I, I, you know, I, I keep going back to this. I, I think we ought to get to the seven most questionable haunted items on eBay too, because we keep moving that from week to week. Oh, the, we can, I mean, this, it goes through five of the <clears throat> most, um, recent doomsday predictions. But here's the thing is that it doesn't even get even close to, I mean, it, it only scratches the surface. If you go, if you check out a brief history of the apocalypse.com, it's a brief history of the apocalypse. They abbreviate it. If you Google it, you'll find it. Um, I mean, they go through, I mean, the amount of doomsday prophecies, I mean, just for, you know, this last decade, I mean, there's many of them. So, yeah. so this, but aren't we doing a, a big 2012 end of the world? Yeah, episode. but and that's one of the one the the Mayan apocalypse is on here. Um, you know, the Mayan end of the world, the um Harold Camping predicting it twice, you know. So it it's just Not it's just, just a, twice. Remember he oh, rescheduled yeah, that right. oh, yeah, years right. earlier too. Yeah. Uh, well, the one this year was only supposed to be one end of the world broken up in two days. Right. So, yeah, so they they just go through the, you know, five of them the last ones that happened. So, um even Pat Robertson I guess is in on one of them here. So, so we'll, we'll just put it in the show notes. It was just a, you know, quick article about doomsday predictions and none of them have happened. And some people have even done this more than once. All right. Let's do I the I would say one. that uh, Harold Camping is probably the most successful doomsday, doomsday prognosticator because he got away with it three times. Even over Nostradamus? Well, Nostradamus may not have. It depends on how the hell people interpret it. Well, stuff. exactly. That's what's funny about it is that, you know, somebody can always use it, but yeah. All right. The seven most haunted eBay items. This is somewhat a follow-up to one of our past um, podcasts because we actually, Brian at one time in one of our early podcasts when I had talked about um, the Holy Water had gone a list of, come up with his own list of really oddball haunted stuff. I think that was actually Mac. Haunted dolls, yeah, all yeah, kinds of Mac. fun stuff. Okay, yeah. so that was like way that back. Was the, uh, that was the episode where you had the ghosts who were put into the Holy Water bottles. On eBay, yeah. yeah. That was, and, it, you know, and it didn't hurt them. <laughs> or so they said. So, anyways, you know, once more, you know, going off of that, there is a huge trend of um, haunted stuff on eBay, and it can get really silly as to the stories. They have whole great stories about the the doll, and it just gets silly. So, um, most haunted magic baby girl doll murdered by her own mother. She is very active. Uh, yeah. And there's a warning on this one. Warning. This listing is for one of the most haunted possessed items we've ever investigated. This listing is for Reagan, one of the most active haunted possessed dolls are spirits. But this is my favorite part of this. If you pick up this one, you can expect your home to be filled with electrical disturbance, electrical <laughs> disturbances and screaming and crying spirits being tortured in hell. Did we mention the free shipping? 
I love the fact that they named the doll after the character in The Exorcist. Very old white witch hand-painted powerful item to rid Asomnia. This thing looks like a pine cone with googly eyes glued to it. <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> Witches from way back when glued had googly eyes. That is, you know, obviously you know, one of those things you never hear about witchcraft is the connection with googly eyes. Well, but remember, this is just a charm. This is not the actual witch. At least that's not how I read it. But apparently, if you want to do witchcraft properly, you have to use googly eyes. Okay, then what we got? We got Haunted Doll, Arson. Any uh, any witches out there listening to the podcast, if you could contact us and verify if googly, and googly eyes are necessary or not, we would appreciate it. Okay, so that's <laughs> Haunted Doll named Arson. Ironically died in a fire. <laughs> so the little girl's name was Arson and she died in a fire. Okay, hold on a moment. Did she die in a fire and it was ironic or did she die ironically in a fire? I think it's important to determine this. I mean, a, an ironic way of dying in a fire, to die ironically in a fire, would be that there was a fire and she drowned. Wait, what, so, what is this? So, what does it keep bugging them about double stacking adapters? Power so adapters? Crack.com, anyway, to give a summary of the full story. So, it turns out to be an elaborate scheme. The boss killed his wife, and then Arson's father went to jail for the rest of his life because I guess he was set up by the boss. And she was pretty sad about it. Also, on a completely unrelated note, Arson later ironically died in a completely different fire. I, I love the, the the last lines on these are always great. Because that's that's what you need in your home is a possessed doll who keeps bitching to you about double-stacked adapters. <laughs> yeah. Okay, then the next one. Oh, this is an ugly lamp. Haunted Child's Old Toy Lamb Seeks Dead Girl. <laughs> <laughs> this is like some beat-up old stuffed lamb that really is like, okay, you, you guys bought it at like a five and uh, thrift store for you know a quarter, and you're now trying to see if you can get anything more from it, just because it looks like it could be haunted. Uh, let's see, uh, according to the unreadable. Well, wait, version, hold on, you got to read the last line. Uh, well, so what? Do, so what does the mother do? She when she finds out uh, she's harboring a ghost and her uh, harboring the. Goes for a dead daughter. She sells it on eBay for twenty bucks. Thanks, mom. <laughs> no, but according to the unreadable red wall of text, you can hear Cindy's voice emanating from the lamb, which sounds distorted and like an old record. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, uh, uh, do you ever think the lamb might be one of those stupid pull cord things, and the pull cord might not be working? Uh, but yeah, obviously it's a ghost. Why go with something logical or rational? <laughs> Let's see. Num. Damn it. Go down. Go down. Sorry. Gotta wait for page load for a moment. We're on page two of the article. It's a two-page one. Once more, we love crack.com. Uh, you know, you can find some of the great stuff and the actual factual stuff, which is always, you know. Okay. Haunted doll, Makasu Indian princess, Earth, Kova, a bunch of EVPs, COA, what's a home? So apparently now you have a possessed Indian doll that, oh, they're trying to, Wow, 16 bids, it was up to $50. The EVPs are interesting, so I guess your radios are not safe. <laughs> I guess not. This one, we are assured, has been test graded A by the American <laughs> Paranormal Research Society. It's <laughs> <laughs> <Is> a thing. <laughs> so it, it's kind of okay, like... They have it, a website. I'm going to pull up the website right now. 
So apparently, it's the, uh, they, there's a grading system for possessed dolls, just like the grading system for action figures. You can send the possessed doll away, have someone look at it, examine it, send it back, and say, "Okay, this is grade nine, grade A." Well, they have the same kind of grading system for EVPs, so why not? <laughs> so, and Brian, who wants us to do the last line? Yes, please. Last... Okay, what does it say? Of course, we don't have any context to discern what a grade A ghost rating actually means, whether it's a measure of ghost quality or quantity or anything else. We're just assured that the power of these items may never become your way again. <laughs> I love this. A haunted Ouija board? <laughs> really? <laughs> it's not enough that the Ouija board can talk to ghosts or whatever, but this one actually has to be haunted too. <laughs> And apparently it talks about something about the ghosts or elves. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, according to what it says here, this uh, they started using the board. The sellers recount something called Elfrid. Started talking to them, claiming to be a clan of elves. And so they looked it up, and sure enough, Elfrid means elf council in Gaelic. <laughs> there's proof right there. Oh. Okay. And the final line, they even have a photograph. The blue circle that they've used as the oxen image is apparently what a bona fide elf ghost looks like. And if you, you're ever worried about buying something like this based on a bunch of hearsay, they assure us that they never place an item up for auction unless they believe it to be truly haunted. <laughs> All right. And the final one. This this one's a freaky thing to begin with. I, I never got Zippy, the pinhead. I always thought that was just the word. The comics were never funny. So the look itself was just like, what the hell drugs are they on? But Happy Word Bazaar original 1980s Bill Griffith bit in package clown Zippy pinhead doll. <laughs> Don't be <laughs> fooled by absolutely every inch of this ridiculous looking thing. Zippy the clown doll is, to quote the auction, the worst evil imaginable. <laughs> Actually, we can kind of believe that. <laughs> As, at least they keep it in a plastic bag. According to the seller, the plastic bag is the only thing stopping Zippy from wrecking all kinds of child's play-style murderous havoc because wretched cursed hexes are notoriously thwarted only by a quarter of a millimeter of cellophane. <laughs> <laughs> so. Right. Those are always fun. You know, we had a good time last time we looked for haunted items on eBay, too. So... <laughs> Yeah. All right. Ends our last show of 2011. Wow. Yeah. All right. So yeah. So uh, the the next show will, will be our um will be our end of the world show. Yes. We'll start off next year with the most positive topic you can imagine. It'll be the end of the world as we know it, but we'll still feel fine. <laughs> uh, all right. Say good night, everybody. Good All night, right, good, good night. night good night. Thank you for listening. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Thanks for listening to the Amateur Skeptics Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Amateur Skeptics Podcast. For more information about the Amateur Skeptics, go to AmateurSkeptics.com. To send us feedback, suggestions, or big flaming insults, feel free to contact us at WTF at AmateurSkeptics.com. Other contact information can be found on our website. You can leave a voicemail for the Amateur Skeptics Podcast at 720-295-7785. Music for this podcast was provided by OFM. To find out more about OFM, go to mindspace.com forward slash OFMHQ. This podcast is released under a Creative Commons No Derivatives 3.5 license. Thank you for listening to the Amateur Skeptics Podcast. Amateur Skeptics website, Facebook, and podcast album art 
is provided by and copyright Shadow Knight Digital Portraiture. Larger prints or custom pieces are available upon request. 